welcome back to the Big C Church Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Angie Ward, and um, with me today is uh, our guest, Dr. Tim Kohler. I'll talk about him in a minute, but um, Big C Church Podcast, where we have challenging conversations to better the body, um, and we want to, by those conversations, give hope and um, try to find some steps forward, uh, not just uh, live in frustration. Uh, like I've said before, I, I believe in the idea of the church and the potential of a church, and so uh, this is a place for those conversations for people who who share that belief. So, um, uh, Doctor Professor Friend Tim Kohler uh, is is with me, and he is. And I had to just read just a few moments ago. Read me all his titles that he had to double check on his signature line. Uh, he's a colleague of mine at Denver Seminary. I don't even know all my titles, um, Tim. So he's Associate Dean of Academic Affairs, Assistant No Division No Director of Leadership Program. Assistant Professor of Leadership and Accreditation Liaison Officer, but really, um, he's a leadership guy um, and a, a ministry person like I am, and longtime friend, colleague, uh, student. We have all sorts of threads of how we've come together, and and so um, he and I have these kind of conversations all the time. And this time, we're hitting record. So, um, Tim, thanks for being on the podcast with me. Yeah, as, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thanks for inviting me. It's always fun having conversations with you. It really, like we we do regularly say, hey, we just got to throw a meeting on our calendar so we can talk. So yeah. So what I want to talk about today is um, the kind of the franchise of leadership as it pertains to ministry and the church. And so um, you and I both have leadership in our professional titles. We lead things. We teach leadership. We've done our PhDs in leadership, very similar programs. Um, and in the, as you know, you and I both know, uh, in the mid 1980s in the corporate world, there was this um, rise of awareness and emphasis on leadership. Tom Peters, um, uh, you know, um, Jim Collins. Yeah, just name all the different, different books. Um, and, and then that spilled over or flooded into church world and ministry world. And that's kind of when you and I, I think that's certainly when I came into it. I mean, I was in college as this was just becoming a thing. Um, and, and so that's how, what shaped my, uh, my training, my ministry, my leadership, my understanding, my terminology, all this kind of stuff. So I want to talk with you about, um, kind of where that has gotten us, but first, like, tell, tell, uh, tell me, tell us, how did you enter into the stream? Yeah, great question. I was 16 and I chased a girl into a youth group and found Jesus instead. And my youth pastor at the point of my conversion handed me a Bible and a book on leadership. So the two really? streams of scripture and Bible have just interwoven themselves throughout the entirety of my faith journey. So what I was the book imagine. on leadership? I wish I could remember. I feel like it may have been like a courageous leadership by Bill Hybels or something like that. Yeah. This is like 2003, sorry, 2001. Yeah. And so it would have been something within like that Willow Creek leadership emphasis, because that was a lot of what his emphasis was, is he'd go to Willow Creek Leadership Summit every single year. So it was probably yeah. one of the books that had come out that year or recently. Yep. One of the speakers or whatever, exactly. something. Yeah. But wow. I've never understood the Christian faith apart from some, I, some concept that we are called to lead. And so you can think about like the Great Commission wow. being that emphasis of as you go, make disciples. So that going 
is and teaching is this emphasis of having influence. So I can't imagine the Christian faith apart from some understanding of claiming agency or this freedom in Christ, where you're actually exercising your agency to have influence towards something. And for us, as those who are following Jesus, that emphasis towards something is this Christ-like behavior, or if we want to think about it in terms of uh, God's kingdom uh, being, or as I like to think about it, it's like that signpost pointing toward a future heavenly reality. So our, our influence or emphasis is, is actually going toward that stream. Wow. So I'm just still marveling like that they were so intertwined for in the beginning because they weren't for me. Like I discovered I fell into it like uh, when I was like in ministry school and we'll unpack. You, you turn, took a lot of, I mean, you talked a little bit already about your kind of definition and understanding of leadership and used a couple terms that we'll, we'll un, unpack in a moment. But so you came like you came to Christ and to leadership at the same time. You were converted basically into both. Absolutely. And then... Um, I mean, I know you were a youth pastor and then obviously now you're doing higher ed and stuff, but like, what are the other places kind of that you've been involved in this kind of convergence? Yeah. I, so as a youth leader, I mean, I, at 16, went from someone who was really quite timid and afraid of the world because of childhood experiences and actually going, oh, there's a God who loves me and mm -hmm. is transforming me and inviting me to join in this great mission that change to my mindset gave me the opportunity to go to school and actually think about what I'm participating in. What kind of mm -hmm. world am I creating by doing these kinds of behaviors? So the sanctification process on this Christian journey was one of really thinking deeply about the impact that I'm having on those around me and how the environments I'm putting myself in are having an impact on me and my formation. So that those years as a youth leader, as a, as you know, just a kid in youth group were really substantive for me. And even mm. graduating high school, I took a year and sold vacuum cleaners so I could actually spend more time at my church. My mm. joke is, and you may have to edit this out of the podcast, but I read every book in my youth pastor's office, but it didn't take that long because he went to Liberty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You may have to edit that one out, but right. the we'll just X that part. Yeah. Yeah. Just X that part out. But I think that's part of the, that, that journey was the year where I wasn't going to college, that gap year where I was just hanging around the church all the time and really reading and studying and getting to know how I'm wired and what my interests are were really helpful. And then I eventually entered into Bible college. And while I was at Bible college, became the youth pastor at my church when my youth pastor yeah. transitioned to another ministry assignment. After working in that church for several years, had a bit of a crisis of faith and actually stumbled into working at a Bible college and processed paperwork. That's where you and I had met. So I'm, yeah. I'm working in these spaces where I had no one reporting to me, but I'm participating in a system that is leading students towards something. So I'm seeing hmm. and observing others that are in leadership roles and being... I think quite vigilant in understanding the systems and the, the dynamics. And I've always just been fascinated about how the world works. So sitting in that hmm. space and being able to observe was really fun for me. And now I'm obviously at Denver Seminary. I've been on a couple of different boards. I've served as elders in two different churches. I've been on the board of what was called Reading Burke's Conference of Churches. They've since rebranded when I left, but it was a, an organization that looked to serve about 440 churches in our county. Uh, really fun environment when I was in that hmm. season. And now I get to spend my time as a youth soccer and youth basketball coach. So I'm a paid staff coach with Colorado Rapids Youth Soccer Club and really enjoying that time. And then I volunteer as a youth basketball coach as well. 
Wow. Well, so um, how did you just briefly, like you, at some point you went, I mean, you went to Bible college, but then you went and got a master's of arts, which, you know, which is also where we connected in leadership and then decided yes. to pursue it as like your field, which that it's even a field at a Christian university shows how far, like where we've come, uh, you know, cause that didn't exist when I was going to seminary originally. Mm -hmm. But like what yeah. led you to then kind of continue to pursue that as like I your field? It's this, it's this curiosity of how the world works. And it was a beautiful integration of understanding psychology, organizational psychology, sociology, there was a lot that was going into it, philosophy. So being able to study so broadly was something that was very compelling for me. I think there was also a lot of trying to figure myself out. I'm, I'm trying to understand who, who am I? What am I good at? I've been affirmed in a number of different ways, but I don't know how to apply that. So the opportunity to spend time considering how other people have navigated the world was something that was very compelling to me. So the master's degree for me was something that I am very thankful I did. It was definitely a challenge. It was, it was incredibly difficult, but it was also very rewarding because all the things that I'm learning about how to be a more effective leader, how to build systems and processes that are efficient and effective were immediately applicable to the environment that I was in. So I'm learning and immediately able to turn around and make something better. And I'm a huge fan of Seth Godin. And so he talks about making things better by making better things. And I felt mm. like that was what my master's degree really empowered me to do is mm. instead of going through as a youth pastor and just replicating what my other, my previous youth pastor had done and just keeping what he did going, it was now an opportunity to say, how do you want to construct the world? How do you want to make things better? So it really ingrained in me this developmental process that you can actually improve and also make things better. So when the opportunity came for me to apply for a position on the faculty side of the institution that I was working for, it required that I would go into a PhD program. Mm. And in that season of life, when I was uh, with this Reading Burst Conference of Churches as a board member, there was a lot of challenges that churches in our county were facing and the organization itself that it was facing. So the opportunity to move into a space to continue making things better was so compelling that I needed to get into and pursue a doctoral degree. And part of that was in leadership spaces, some people have positions. And as a, someone who has a position, they have authority over how something is going to go. But if that individual is not pursuing their own growth and development, it will actually stagnate the organization. So to join in with a group of doctoral students, similar to the master's program, where they're all dedicated to improving themselves so that we can make things better, those conversations were some of the most stimulating I've ever had. Yeah. So that yeah. was the emphasis. I want to be in a group of people who are thinking deeply about these things. Yeah, cool. And we've you and I have talked about how we've missed that. Uh, oh, yeah. And that's one of the reasons I think we enjoy doing that. It's kind of a little microcosm of what we had in those, those environments. You talked about, I mean, you've... Um, raise a couple of concepts and terms already. I want to unpack a little bit more. Like you've talked, you talked about um, having influence. You've, you've talked about the opportunity to be a change agent or having agency and shaping things and um, followers. So, and you and I've gone back and forth, like you're help, we're shaping each other's understanding and definition of leadership. So where are you at in your definition or understanding of it? 
with, you know, putting all those things together. You don't have to say, though, I'm not grading you anymore for papers. So <laughs> that's a relief. Yeah, yeah. There are a number of leadership definitions out there, and sometimes they're describing and defining a leader. Sometimes they're describing leadership as a concept that happens that is applicable to leaders or organizations. Mm -hmm. So the terms are all kind of squishy and And then there's management in there, right? You know, too. Absolutely. So, yeah. And there's people like Cotter or Bennis who have hard distinctions between managers and leaders. And yep. it, is, it is a very muddled field. And a lot of it is built, on, built upon people's experiences. So in my experience, this is what a leader did. This is what they said. This is how they behaved. So there are these emphases of leadership as behavior, leadership as position, leadership as influence. If you want to go to the John Maxwell, like leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing mm -hmm. less. I'm a huge fan of thinking of leadership as a co-created process, that yeah. there is a relationship between leader and follower, and there is no leadership unless there are followers. So it is a co-created process. You're negotiating constantly with those who may be following you, and that interaction will shape the kind of leadership that is created. So there's no possibility of leadership unless there's the ability to have that co-created process that you're actually negotiating it together. At its darkest, we can think of leadership as um, only what followers will allow. So leaders can only get mm -hmm. away with what followers will allow. And that's where our friend Wade Mullen and his work on impression management strategies really highlights the need for followers to take ownership of the mm -hmm. influence that they have. Uh, and I believe even, even more calling leaders to integrity than trying to put something on followers. But I think for me, it really emphasizes that this co-createdness of leadership is something that we need to continue to understand. How is that relationship being shaped? What is the ongoing relationship? Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, so all sorts of was, thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, like the co-created process, I think is the is the really the foundation of it. But it's a co-created process of using power to influence people to movement toward a vision. So I know yeah. that's, that's long, but it's using power. And the reason I highlight using power is yeah. because it's understood that there is a power dynamic, that there is some base of power. So there are two researchers, French and Raven, who in 1959 and then 1965 wrote out a definition of these bases of social power. Those are always operating whenever we're in any relationship. We don't have the language always, but we know it. So when you study it, you go, oh, that's why I felt that way when that yes. person did those yep. things. So it's a yep. co-created process of using power to influence people to movement toward a vision. So it's always with people. There's always some sort of change or movement toward a vision. There's always something you're aiming for. And the most insidious kinds of leadership are the ones where the vision hasn't been properly defined or articulated. So all of a mm -hmm. sudden you find that you've been going in a direction, but no one's actually said what the direction is, but we all sort of implicitly know this is the direction we're heading. And then you come to an awareness and go, is this the direction that we should be going and want to be going? Yeah. So yeah. I view leadership as just always happening. It's just a matter of how aware or not are we of what yeah. is happening. Yeah, I always say, like, it, I mean, we all have influences. Matter how how intentionally we're stewarding that, and in what direction, and to what you know that that movement and vision, and yeah, yeah, and you know, our mutual friend Matt Tebby um, was on the podcast, uh, and we were talking about uh, the power dynamics of of uh, pastors. Mm. And, um, and I know you're, you know, when we talk about power, it's such a loaded term, uh, which by the way, was another conversation, uh, we had on the podcast about that, you know, and, and, um, 
But uh, so power is just a reality. It's not, I just want to, you know, point out you and I are both from the perspective that power is a reality, not power is not inherently good or bad. It's just a reality. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In that. Yeah. Well, so we've been immersed in this world. We've studied, we have PhDs in leadership. So, I mean, and I tell people like, I know a lot about it. That doesn't automatically make me a better leader. Um, And when we've seen, we've been in minute, we've been in ministry world, we've watched and taught and, and led in all this world. So we've seen the head, you know, we, we see the headlines, we've lived the things that made the news. Um, so what are the good and bad things that about where we're at now in church and ministry world from this 40 year now emphasis on leadership? Yeah, that's a great question. One of the things we must reckon with is our desire to have someone tell us with great confidence that if you do these things, everything will be all right. Mm. We have such a desire for someone to pacify our anxiety that we will cling to certainty even when it's not wise to cling to that individual or if it's not possible to have certainty in those areas. I mean, we are always dealing with the uncertainty of a life that has been plagued with sin. So we don't know if today is the last day that we have. We can't guarantee that we're not going to get into a car accident or be diagnosed with something. And we are looking for someone who can give us this confidence, this strength. And rather than look to Jesus for that, we begin to look to a human for it. And when Mm -hmm. we start to put humans in the place of Jesus, we've created idolatry and it can lead to really dramatic impact because what we do in leadership and especially as followers in that co-created process is we're giving of ourselves to trust that the vision that we've agreed to is being held to with integrity by everyone in the process, the followers and the leader. So we're entrusting to this leader some amount of authority, whether that be a position or merely just uh, like a referent power where I'm idolizing you, I'm, I'm looking up to you, I'm respecting you. And in doing that, We're entrusting part of ourselves to that individual. When we do that to a significant degree, where those individuals become those who are no longer to be engaged in a co-created process, like they're untouchable. You can't question them. You can't challenge them. When there's losing that transparency, now we're moving into some very dangerous spaces. And in the United States of America, there are these laws um, or or lack of laws where, for example, churches don't have to file any kind of paperwork with the IRS to disclose with transparency who the top paying employees are or what their finances are, whereas every other nonprofit has to do that. Mm -hmm. So there's this bit of secrecy that can get woven into the church world where there's this subtle idea, it may not always be articulated, but it's often felt where you can't question them because they've been appointed by God to be the leader of this community. And therefore you as a follower, you have no right to question anything that they do. And I think that moves us into some very, very dangerous spaces. And quite frankly, it ignores the priesthood of believers that we are being invited into inside the New Testament. So the new covenant is really this beautiful invitation for us to be part of this shared community. So you can think of like a Dan White Jr. and J.R. Woodward and the work they're doing through V3 church planning, where they're trying to help us understand what a mutuality in leadership looks like, what a shared leadership is. Yeah. So I think we yeah. need to avoid those pitfalls. 
where yeah. we're putting people up on a pedestal and saying, you're the, the uniquely anointed leader who can unquestioningly be doing this work. Instead, I think we need to move to a model of leadership that is a shared leadership, that is transparent, where there is vulnerability and we are encouraging one another to be in growth and in community together. So we're learning how to improve one another and improve what we're doing together. But when you talk about shared, I'm hearing, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm hearing um, not just shared among the top, but shared among uh, a shared understanding among leaders and followers as well. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. That leaders and followers are actually, again, this co-created idea. Like we are yeah. building this thing together. There's this ongoing invitation. It's almost as though every day you're waking up and you have breath and you're being invited into doing this work together. And so it's continually checking in on, we are we still on this together? Are we still working on this together? And it would require us to be more transparent, to slow down and have more communication. And it would require us to be in relationship. And we get frustrated because relationships don't always feel scalable. But yeah. really, credibility and trust are at the foundation of any leadership attempt. So yeah. as soon as we begin to get impatient as leaders, as soon as the fruit of the spirit are no longer the metric with which we're understanding whether we're progressing in the Christian life, that's when we begin to lose track of what we're being invited into in this great story of God. So the fruit of the spirit wow. should be the metric and it should actually cause us to lean in on those relationships to a much greater degree. So move slower, operate with transparency and vulnerability, appropriate vulnerability, have communication so that you're continuing to build trust with those that you're co-creating this leadership with. Wow. Um, so how much, I mean, you, you're raising more than I think I've heard elsewhere about kind of the follow, that, that co-creating piece, first of all, right? So that, that piece, um, and, but there's also, I think, a systems, systemic piece, like the assumptions that we bring in, like you said, like, I mean, uh, because we've, we've known and seen and read about, you know, people who are followers who try to raise the questions and try to make it a co-created kind of thing or whatever. And there's, there's sometimes there's systems where the assumptions are, uh, no, stay in your lane, stay in your place. There is this elevating kind of thing, like where those types of systems, where do you, where do we start with those types of environments? You know, if we start from scratch, we can say, sure, we're going to start with this co-created Voldemort, all those great, which are great. But then I just look around and see so many where we've, we've gotten it wrong and need to course correct. Absolutely. The beginning of this is to begin establishing trust. So mm -hmm. some of us want to be prophetic voices but we haven't done the work to establish trust and to communicate how we're on mission. And that's not to say that anyone who is um, communicating that things can be made better, they're not the problem. But sometimes in our impatience, we have these knee-jerk reactions where we are having really significant, we're levying significant judgments against others. So we come out thinking we're speaking this truth, this prophetic voice, and actually the emotion that we're bringing into it is what's contagious. So emotions are always mm. underlying the surface. So I'm communicating something to you, but the emotions I'm bringing in are actually causing the individual to be receptive to what's coming or to rejecting it. So assuming the person you're talking to is someone who wants to operate with integrity, who wants to be able to 
engage in a co-created process of leadership, assuming that they want to be getting better, then we can engage with them in a way that says, I'm with you, I'm for you, I'm for the mission that we have together, and can we have a conversation about how we might be able to do that better? So assuming the person can be engaged in that way, then we can begin to open up those conversations about where we might be falling short of the ideal for what leadership can be. Now, if the leader you're working with is someone who, when you attempt to build relationships and to have trust, continues to reject that space, that is far more problematic and far contextual. Like, what are they the senior leader? Is there a board? What are the peer relationships that that individual has? What are the peer relationships you have? So you start to have to do a bit of a mapping of the various relationships and the various qualities of relationships that are happening within that system. Because if that person who is leading is not leading with integrity, they're going to have built around them very likely systems that have perpetuated the lack of integrity and protect them from accountability. So bringing accountability to a leader who doesn't want accountability is very challenging and very contextual. Well, so I've also seen um, followers or members of an organization who they, they, they don't want the response responsibility of followership. Maybe, maybe this is an article we need to write. Like, because I've just seen people who they want a king. I've, I've yeah. just now just in this conversation with you, just raising that, that idea of the, of a responsibility of followership, not just responsibility of leaders. I think we, we've put so much historically on the leader, still too much responsibility. Um, and I know people, I've just been in churches where they go, I, I trust you. I, I, I want to, I'm going to abdicate Yes. to you. Um, even sometimes when the leader is saying, I want to invite you, they say, no, 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 I don't want to have that responsibility. So, Absolutely. and I think the worst systems are where you have leaders who don't want accountability and followers who don't want responsibility. Absolutely. That's a very good insight. And there are followers mm -hmm. that are saying, I'm coming to you because you provide me security. You provide me comfort. And for yeah. the leader who has these like clingy followers, these, these dependent followers, the work of differentiation of self will be vital that you're actually creating environments where that person can continue to feel safe, but also being challenged to work on their own differentiation, lacking differentiation. Those followers will always be incredibly dependent upon the leader. And really what will end up happening is as soon as that leader is no longer able to provide the comfort and the safety that the follower wants, the follower is going to get angry and turn on them. So they're actually going to begin to sabotage or villainize the leader. And that's where in our relationship in this co-created process, part of our conversation with followers really needs to be their own growth and development so that they are less dependent upon yeah. me as a leader. So for example, when I bring on a new employee and I'm working with them, one of the first things that I state is we are all only here for a season. None of us have our eternal destiny in these roles at this institution. Yeah. Therefore, what does my growth and your growth look like? So I'm inviting you to come and give me feedback at any point. I'm inviting you to help me get better as a leader and as a person who has these responsibilities in the institution. So you're not going to offend me if you come and say, hey, Tim, I feel like these are things that are gaps in your leadership or in your competence. I wanted you to be aware of that. And that also then creates the opportunity that they may say to me, 
I'm, I would love to have your feedback on how I can improve in my relationships and my competence and my role. And so we just, from the outset, create this expectation that we're all only here for a season and how in this season am I going to continue to improve and to get better? But I think that's a responsibility that the leader has to highlight that perhaps some of the people we're bringing on might have unrealistic expectations of leaders. So I remember some years ago, I don't remember where I saw this, but I remember Nadia Bowles-Weber had this thing that she did when she would bring on new members to her church where she would say, I'm the pastor here. I'm going to disappoint you. I'm huh. going to let you down. So yeah. from the outset, she just provided this. I'm a human. I'm, I'm not going to be perfect. And if you're looking yeah. for the perfect leader, I'm not going to be it. And I think there's something healthy in that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking sometimes they, I, I mean, we've both in, been in positions, I think, where people have turned on us and gotten angry or, uh, and either tried to sabotage or just left because mm -hmm. they could find it elsewhere. And I've been in that person. I, like I've been that person yeah. that was yeah, me not too. differentiated and For I sure. villainized a leader unjustly. Yeah. 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 Um, let's talk a little bit, because I'm, you know, I've had the privilege and it really has been of, of walking with you for many years now. And we've gotten to see how our thinking and just how we've developed personally, not just our thoughts about leadership, but I know there was a time uh, earlier in your time at Denver Seminary where a, a former colleague challenged you to deepen your theology of leadership. Like that was something, I don't, I don't know about you, but in my training, it, there wasn't I had systematic theology and then I had leadership classes. Correct. I didn't have theology of leadership or all these things we're talking about power and accountability and relationship and, you know, community, all that kind of stuff. Share a little bit about how that's, if you're willing to share about that conversation, but just how that has inserted another dynamic that you, I think you are bringing such a, uh, so many great thoughts that just the overall leadership conversation about the gap in a theology of leadership. Absolutely. And you're right, in, in my experience, going through Bible college, a master's degree, and then the PhD, they were, in essence, two different disciplines that maybe had something to share with one another, but I don't know that the integration of the two was encouraged to a significant degree. And if it had been encouraged, I don't know that I, I recognized that I wasn't doing a deeper integration that was available to me. I think there were attempts to not proof text, but I did, I think, default to proof texting. And I can think of specific assignments where uh, a, a professor uh, had said, in essence, like, go through the book of Proverbs and make any note for these management principles. So Yeah, I read that. Yeah, I remember that yeah. assignment. Nehemiah, really, right? <laughs> yeah, Nehemiah. It was a great one for management. Right. And so you're, you're sort of held up as like, just go find in the Bible justification for what you're already doing. Yeah. Find justification for what the social theory already offers. Or apply yeah. it to Jesus, right? And so it's like, that was the other one. Yes, always. And I found that when I came to Denver Seminary, particularly, I did have a colleague of mine who began to really challenge that you're operating with these two tracks and you've learned how to run the train down those tracks. But rather than have them as distinct disciplines, what does it look like when you begin to integrate them? And not just proof text, but actually begin to integrate them. Yeah. And that work has been, has been really fun, uh, to be honest. I mean, I've uncovered theologians that have also written things on leadership that hmm. I had never been exposed to. So people like Ray Anderson, who had been at Fuller Seminary during the, I think, the 70s, 80s, and 90s, 
Um, he was doing some really creative work thinking about how eschatology should inform our ministry practices. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like, oh, this is fascinating stuff. So these last few years have been one of, of growth for me in that area. My emphasis currently has been thinking through the fourfold uh, that where we're able to actually go like the grand narrative should shape our leadership practice. So yeah. early in my, in my following Jesus, my understanding of, of the mission of God was I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And that was the entirety of what my Christian faith was. I'm going yeah. to go, I'm going to take my uh, survey instrument to the mall and I'm going to say, will you take a survey? And my yeah. whole goal was to trick them into me being able to uh, present the gospel to them of you're a right. sinner in need of a savior. Now I look at it and say, with this idea of a grand narrative, the creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, those bookends of creation and restoration, in addition to fall and redemption, that these four things are actually necessary because there's actually two chapters in the Bible before sin enters the world. And so when we think about what's mm -hmm. going on in Genesis 1 and 2, and particularly in Genesis 2.15, there's these Hebrew words of Avad and Shamar, and this idea of to uh, to to create and to cultivate or to guard and celebrate. Like there are these words of before sin has entered the world, humans were made for these things. Yeah. And to understand being made in the image of God and what we've been commissioned to do from the beginning is really quite helpful. And then especially when we think about this restoration of all things, that these bookends actually inform our leadership practice. So right now, when I think about leadership, I think of us as a signpost pointing toward a future heavenly reality, that the work that we are doing here and now, mm -hmm. our leadership practice, should be conducted in a way that points toward that future heavenly reality. And we do so through understanding the person of Jesus, through the fruit of the spirit. These are things that should be uh, something we're regularly simmering on and thinking about and being shaped by, cultivating our emotions so that we are in line with the way of Jesus and the fruit of the spirit. So this theological journey for me has been one that has invited me to bring my emotions to the table as well, because mm. I can proof text that the thing I did was appropriate because the person I was interacting with was a fool. So it was appropriate for me to be harsh with them. Right. But I did it in such a way that I actually had anger toward the person. And Jesus tells me that I'm actually murdering that person. I'm violating this relationship. So when I actually hold up not just a faith statement, but the emotions that are driving my behavior, this whole inner world that I've too often neglected, when I begin to hold that up against the person of Jesus, now I begin to recognize my need for Jesus. Because it's really yeah. easy for me to sign the faith statement theologically it is very difficult for me to recognize that my functional theology is very deficient. It is not living up to the faith statement I claim to, to abide by. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Such good stuff. Um, yeah. I'm thinking, like, do you have hope? I, I feel like we're um, the pandemic certainly kind of the, the, the church is in decline, right? Like by any measure, as far as, the historical understanding that we've brought in for the last several hundred years is in decline, I should say. The, we know from scripture and from God's purpose for the church that, I mean, it's going to prevail. So, um, but I think we're ask, people are asking good and hard questions about how do we get here and what has this gotten for us and what course corrections do we need to make? 
um, the, I think the best and deepest questions are not just about structure or practice, I mean, just kind of external practice, but like really these types of foundational questions. Um, um, I have hope, I think, because I'm seeing, be because things, some things are being dismantled that I think need to be dismantled and people are starting to have these questions. Are you feeling hope or, and, and what do you think are some next steps? Big C Church. Yeah, Big C Church. I love that question. I do find myself at times having cynicism. I think that's part of my default setting that yeah. uh, seems to have been with me throughout much of my life. And it's easy. It's safe. It's easy to be cynical and sarcastic about things. But I was challenged by a mentor a couple of years ago, Romans 15, 13, may the mm. God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you mm. trust in him, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if I'm to understand Romans 15, 13 as something that applies to me today, I am to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it comes through trusting in God. So as you've indicated, the, the gates of hell will not prevail, and we know that the church will continue to persevere. And though there are specific iterations of church that will close, specific locales will have their churches closed down, globally, the church will never end. So when we think about Big C Church, my hope would be that we begin to move toward this priesthood of all believers, that we're actually being invited in as these ambassadors of Christ, that he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And now we go out as the righteousness of God. And in that mission, we are actually converting people, not through necessarily all of these uh, brilliant, cogent arguments for the Christian faith, but but also this integrity with which we live that is going, why is this person operating with hope? So when we think about us being in the community and operating with hope, it can be a transformative experience. I told you at the outset that I was coaching youth sports and yeah. you can be in such a negative environment with parents and, and players and coaches who are unbelievably negative and, and just mean and angry. And when you show up into a space like that with integrity and hope, it can be a transformative experience. Yeah. So my hope would be that we begin to recognize that the mission of God is not just aspiring for everyone to go become a vocational minister somewhere, but instead the awareness that God has placed you in a location right now and the mission of God can be fulfilled in the location that you are right now. So I think it moves us from this grass is greener. I'll serve Jesus better when I have that job or that position to right now. How do I faithfully follow Jesus? How do I use the influence and the gifts and the skills that he's given me to continue developing those gifts and skills so I can more competently serve the environments he's calling me in to serve? But also to just, I think it brings almost color to the environment. It's moving from like a black and white and a gray to this colored environment where you're going, oh, there is beauty even here. There is hope even here. That's not to say that Christian life will not have suffering. We know that suffering is part of the Christian life. But to do suffering well through the hope that is available to us in the Holy Spirit, I think, is a beautiful aspiration for us and something that is available to us. That would be my hope for the church, Big C Church. Go out with hope to fulfill the mission of God. Hmm. Well, and I'm come thinking through what you were saying about just coming with a grand narrative perspective as, as opposed to just kind of a getting to people across a line kind of thing. I mean, it just reframes the how of all that um, rootedness and stuff. And the phrase that came to my mind was um, 
from using leadership as a lever, like, or just a series of levers that you can flip switches for these desired outcomes, um, you know, a mechanistic view kind of thing um, for certain results to a lifestyle within that grand narrative. Absolutely. It's almost as though we're moving from gimmicks and manipulation to formation and presence, that we are invested yeah. in our formation, our Christ-like formation, and the presence that we have, being more attentive to the presence inside of this community and being attentive to the movement of the Holy Spirit within those communities. So rather than the lever and the manipulation and how can I speak more eloquently to convince people to come over to my understanding and my ideas, it's actually recognizing that the Holy Spirit is active in doing work and, and the Holy Spirit is the one who will convert. So my job is to be present to what is God doing in this space at this time. Yeah. Yeah, that's not in many books right now. That's not in many leadership books. There's a few starting to ask. There are some that are that are cropping up and it's exciting to see those. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's great. What, uh, you know, we've listed a bunch of different uh, and named just a bunch of different thinkers, authors, resources. Um, and uh, for every episode, we also do like show notes where I do links. So um, any ones that particularly have shaped your thinking that you want me to throw on this list with a link and, and, and that you would recommend to me, first of all, like when we get together, our Amazon, our, our wish lists oh, get bigger and bigger every oh, time. I mean, we cost each other a lot of money. So yes. <laughs> you yes, you mean, you mentioned Ray Anderson, you mentioned some others, but like um, what have been some foundational uh, readings or resources for you in this entire journey? Yeah, that's a great question. I recently rediscovered Warren Bennis's On Becoming a Leader. Mm. Uh, it's a book that was written in the 1980s. And uh -huh. uh, I don't remember much from it. I don't use it in a lot of my classes. But as I've been going back through it, I'm discovering how much it has shaped my understanding of leadership. Because he's inviting us into becoming whole, integrated beings. Oh, wow. I didn't realize That's that. before his time. I mean, he was, he was before the time on that stuff. Because it was so much practice-based. And that is what is fascinating. He's actually really arguing, making a strong argument for how much we have to unlearn and especially the things wow. that we've learned from culture that are not accurate and true. So that on becoming a leader was surprising how far it was forecasting what our needs were as opposed to just parroting what was being said at that time. So yeah. Warren Bennett's on becoming a leader was a, I, I was surprised how much I enjoyed that one. It's dated, but it's because of when it was published. I think it's a fascinating artifact. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Ray Anderson, his, his works, uh, we use a book called Minding God's Business that yep. I think is great. It's, yeah. it's deep. It's not one that you're going to pick up and just be like, oh, this is like easy to read. It's, it's deep, yeah. but it, it's good. Yeah. And, I felt when I read it, cause I know, you know, or some of our D-min courses use it. And so, like you said, I was, I was like, what's all the fuss about, you know? And then I was like, oh, this is going to take me a lot longer. Oh, this is really, cause I just, it really was a re, uh, you know, a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, you got me to read a book uh, called The Fifth Discipline by Peter Sang. Yeah, uh, yeah, about twelve learned. years ago. Yeah, that book was fascinating to begin thinking about how everything is is connected to one another. This this huh. this massive interconnectedness. That was a, a very helpful resource for me. Um, I really love the work that um, J.R. Woodward and Dan White Jr. are doing at V3 Church Planning. Dan's book Love Over Fear was fantastic. 
Um, Subterranean was another one of his that was very impactful for me when I was in, in church ministry to think through some of these undercurrents that I had not been aware of. I know I'm going to miss some, but um, managing yeah. leadership anxiety, Steve Cuss is like top notch yep. material out there. I'm, I'm repping Steve's uh, work with one of these these mugs right here because I uh, really enjoy what he's doing. There you uh, go. Yeah, I know there's so many. It's almost hard yeah. to, to come up well, with. Well, and I haven't read Woodward's new one. I mean, as we're recording this, Eric Woodward's just come out. Do you have it right there the for display? Leadership. It's really yes. good. Okay. I, I mean, it, it is on my list. Uh, and it's, you know, it's probably in the, within the next couple of months, I'll be getting to it, hopefully in the next month or so. But yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely worth reading. I mean, it is a doctoral dissertation, so it, it is not. Oh, that's what it was. Reading, yeah. Okay. And it's thick, right? I know so it's, it's robust. It's not one you're going to fly through, but it is yeah. definitely great. He do, He's doing some really great work integrating theology of power. Great. How we understand leadership. So JR, I think, is doing some fantastic work. Good. That's great. That's great. Um, on a personal note, what's um, what's bringing you life this summer? We're recording this actually in um, early July. Um, so, and I think you're done coaching for now. I know that's very life giving for you. You're in kind of off season right now, but um, yeah, what fun stuff is bringing you life? We are off season, but on Thursday nights we run a pickup soccer game for. Uh, kids in the, in the age groups that I coach. And so we, I just set up portable goals and the kids come out and it's been really fun actually. Cause it's like, not, you don't have to do it. Right. I'm just saying, Hey, I'm going to yeah. set up goals. I'm going to create a space where kids can come keep playing soccer through the summer and meeting parents and talking to them on the sidelines while the kids are out having fun. is one of those things that's very life-giving for me. Um, my wife and I enjoy getting out and walking on trails together and just having time. The kids are also enjoying that with us. So getting out on mountain bike rides together, fun. just experiencing these things has been really good. Uh, the beauty of, I mean, you and I live in Colorado. We have the opportunity to be outside quite regularly and yeah. I just find fresh air to be great. Um, I was just back on the East coast for a couple of weeks and even then being outside into to nature and just being able to breathe breathe that outdoor air is something that is always restorative to me. Also finding myself enjoying water sports. So getting out and like doing oh, a paddleboard or a kayak, like those things are great. And just continuing to read and journal is also yeah. a space where I just enjoy being able to have that introvert time where I can yeah. think deeply on things and not just think about content, but like, what does this mean for me? What is going on in my interior world? So those, those places where God meets me, are those places that are giving me this deep and abiding joy that I don't know that I've had access to uh, in previous seasons of life because of wow. the coping mechanisms and defensiveness wow. on my own part. So yeah. I've been fortunate to be in a season of life where we are able to enjoy a lot of the goodness of God. That's awesome. That's so it's great. So awesome. It is great. And um, yeah, so thanks for letting us, uh, letting me hit record on the stuff that we get to talk about all the time. I mean, we, I've told you this, but I'll tell you on the air. I mean, it's just such a privilege to be able to work together, um, you know, yeah. uh, from when we met uh, at another institution a while ago now. I mean, probably yeah. close 15 years or 15 or 16 years. And, um, and now to work together here, it's just really fun to, to have someone to walk with and to, um, not just conversations, but to see how we're continuing to grow and stuff. So it's so fun and it's such a joy to be able to do the work together. So we'll just make a plug for if you're looking to do theological education, master's programs and doctoral programs are for available sure. at Denver Seminary, right? Yeah. And you can come and have these conversations on a regular basis for real. Yeah. Yeah. And Life that's the fun so. of being in the spaces we're in is we get to learn from our students. They're brilliant yes. and doing so many great things. And to be yep. a part of those learning communities is just such a delight. 
Yep. Yep. So you all come join us. We have a good time. We're doing good stuff. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me, Angie. It's always fun to have conversations. Yeah. Ditto. Thank you. Hey, friend. Thanks for joining me today. If you like this episode, I'd encourage you to share it with a friend or a fellow ministry leader. And if you enjoy the Big C Church podcast, I'd be grateful if you would go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a positive review. Thanks so much for listening.